As I said to you earlier, today we are beginning our stewardship season where we uh, think about all the ways that God is calling us to live and move and work together as a church for next year. And our theme for stewardship season is faithful, F-U-L-L, where we think about all the ways that God has overwhelmed us with God's love and God's gifts because we want to think about those gifts as we are called to give ourselves. And today the scripture lesson that we are uh, preaching from is, is a typical stewardship passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 12. This is found on page 942 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me. But before we read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts Lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen now for God's word. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that you, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So over the spring and summer, I have told many of you that I have been enduring a constant battle in my backyard. Actually, it's not in my backyard, it's in our neighborhood. We have a family of feral cats that have taken over. They actually live a couple of doors down from us, and when I say a family, I mean like 25 or so. Uh, They live a couple of doors down from us, and we see them every time we walk the dogs or every time we go by the house. But back in the spring, an outpost of them decided to camp out underneath the woodshed in my backyard which began my battle with how do we get rid of the cats out of my yard. Now, Julianne loves cats, and even though she knew they couldn't stay there, she always enjoyed peering out the window and looking at the kittens playing around in the backyard, but I wanted to figure out a way to get rid of them, and so I tried to call the Humane Society and find a humane way, of course, to get rid of them. They weren't able to take them, but they encouraged me to find one of those humane traps and try to catch them, which I did, which turned out to just be the Golden Corral buffet for them. It didn't really do anything. I I sprayed some animal repellent out there, but they just seemed to enjoy that more. I even let the dogs out there a few times, but they just seemed to scare the dogs away. I don't know what happened, but at some point, the kittens left the woodshed, and I declared victory. I was now the king of my castle once more. Julianne was a little upset. Like I said, she misses the kittens and seeing them playing, but I knew I had won. But I declared victory a little bit too early. 
Because just a week or so ago, I was out working in my backyard, and right around the woodshed, I saw a little tiny mouse about that big. I came inside and said, Julianne, we've got something else, we, another problem we've got to solve now. We've got to get rid of this mouse. And I made the mistake of saying, you know, if I'd kept those cats there, we wouldn't have a problem with the mouse. Julianne frowned and looked at me and said, you know what, Brad, you need to make up your mind. <laughs> she says that to me a lot. She says that to me every time we go out to eat and I have a hard time deciding where I want, what I want for dinner. She'll say, you need to make up your mind. Or every birthday, she'll say the same thing to me when she's trying to get out of me what I want for my birthday. She'll say, you need to make up your mind. But it's actually a bigger question. You need to make up your mind. A bigger question than just what we're going to eat or what we want for our birthday. It's a big question that we are asked to make up our mind about how we are going to view this world around us. Are we going to see the cats as a good thing or a bad thing? Are we going to see the glasses half empty or half full? Are we going to see this world as overflowing with God's bounty? Or are we going to see this world as greatly in need and scarce, a world that has long since been abandoned by God? That's what Paul asks the people of Corinth in our passage today. He asks them to make up their mind. Now, this is a stewardship passage. As I told you before, Paul's asking the Corinthians, like he does to many other churches in the Mediterranean, he's asking them to give money to the, Jew, the church in Jerusalem because there are a lot of people in Jerusalem in, that are in need. But in this particular passage, he's asking more than just for a paycheck or for a donation. He begins by saying, before you do that, you need to make up your mind. We think of that early church as always being generous, always being full of faith, but the truth of the matter is I think they had many of the same questions that we do, especially around this time of year. What can I afford? How much can I spare? What am I going to need for me and my family before I think about the needs of others? I think they had that same question that we do. And so Paul tells the Corinthians and us too, you need to make up your mind. Make up your mind about how you look at the world and how you look at God. Is this world overflowing with the bounteous love of God or is this world in trouble and in need? Wouldn't it be great if we could look at the world the way God calls us to, if we somehow had some magic vision or magic glasses to always see the world the way God calls us to and the way Paul wants us to? Some of you know Julianne is actually out of town this week. She's up at a, a conference, a church uh, camp for uh, youth up in South Carolina, and she's the keynote speaker, and she's speaking on this very topic, in fact, about how we should try to see God and see good in the world. And thanks to one of our preschool teachers, she is going to share with them a story that I want to share with you this morning called Pete the Cat and His Magic Sunglasses. I don't know why cats are the theme of this sermon today, but... Stick with me. How many of you children out there have heard of Pete the Cat? Some of you maybe have. This is a little story about a little cat named Pete who was having a really bad day. And his day was getting a little worse because all of a sudden a little guy named Grumpy Toad was coming along. But for some reason, Grumpy Toad was having a better day because he had these cool blue sunglasses on. And he went up to Pete the cat and said, Pete, you don't have to be upset. You don't have to be bad. Just put on these sunglasses and you'll see the world in a little different way. Well, believe it or not, he was right. So Pete put on the sunglasses and he looked outside and he said, The birds are singing. The sky is bright. The sun is shining. I'm doing all right. 
So Pete kept those sunglasses on and was strutting around, and then he came across a little turtle who had turned over on his back, and he said, Oh, I can help you, turtle. I know you're having a bad day. He turned him right side up and put the sunglasses on the turtle, and the turtle said the same thing. The the birds are singing. The sky is bright. The sun is shining. I'm doing all right. He took those glasses over to the crocodile who was crying some crocodile tears because he was having a sad day. And Pete put those sunglasses on the crocodile and all of a sudden he saw the world in a different way. The, the birds are singing, the, the sun is shining, it's doing, I, am, I can't even read it. The sky is bright and I'm doing all right. That's how it goes. Finally, he kept coming, walking around and helping his friends out until one day he tripped and fell and those sunglasses broke. And all of a sudden, Pete thought, what am I going to do now? Those magic sunglasses are gone. But luckily, Wise Al was flying around, and he saw those sunglasses break, and he came over to Pete the cat, and he said, look, Pete, you don't need magic sunglasses to see things in a new way, just to remember to look for good in every single day. And Pete did. He and his friends started looking around and seeing good things all around them. And he realized that the birds were singing, the sky was bright, the sun was shining, and they were doing all right. Wouldn't it be great if we could put on magic sunglasses like that, where we could see the world the way God wants us to see it, a world where we are overflowing with God's love, overflowing with God's bounty, where there's not a need for anything in the world? Paul seems to suggest to us that we do have sunglasses like that. We have the lens of faith. The lens of faith to look at the world in a way that other people in the world can't see it. To look at the world with faith and trust that this God who created this world around us didn't just leave us alone to fend for ourselves, but through the lens of faith we can see that God still loves us. And even at times when we can't recognize that God around us, that time and time again we have faith that God is still there, actively working and moving and trying to help us be the people God has called us to be. Now, I know that's uh, easier said than done. Even the best of us at times tend to focus on the negative and focus on the pain and focus on those things that overwhelm us rather than focusing on the love of God that overwhelms us. Even I, at times, at times in my life when I've been struggling and I've gone to counselors myself to help me with this kind of attitude, and those counselors have tried to help me to try to look at the world in a little different way, to control the way I think, to to make up my own mind about how this world works. I'll never forget one counselor told me that even in times of difficulty, we can use those difficult times to help us be more grateful, help us be more thankful. And she told me this little parable from the Hasidic tradition. It's a story of a man who was struggling in his life. He had nine people living in his house with him. and He was overwhelmed with all his bills and how he was going to take care of this whole family. And so he went up to his rabbi and he said, Rabbi, how am I going to, I need your help. I'm just overwhelmed with this life that I have. What can I do to make my life better the rabbi thought for a minute and he gave the man a goat and he said take this goat and bring it into your house with you and he'll take care of it and you'll see things will get better well for a few weeks he took the goat into his house with his nine other family members and the goat ate everything in sight and made too much noise and made the house smell bad and he couldn't understand why he had brought this goat into his house so he went back to the rabbi and asked the rabbi why in the world did you give me this goat things are worse now than they ever were before and the rabbi said well take that goat and and give it to your neighbor in need and so he did 
And about a week later, he, he bumps back into the rabbi, and the rabbi asked him, how are you doing now? And he said, you know what? Life is better than it ever was before. We're all in there working together. The house is, is better. It's quieter. Everything got better once we kicked that stinking goat out of the house. Now, I don't mean to make light of the problems we have in the world. We can't kick goats and problems out of our house as easily as that. And yet I do believe that when we make up our minds that we're going to live this life as faithful people, people who have faith and trust in the bounteous love of God, that when those problems come, we have something to lean on. We have something to believe in. We have something that holds on to us and holds fast to us. Paul tells us, make up your mind that this God who loves you can do far more than you could possibly ever imagine. Make up your mind to have faith in this God who loves you beyond all measure. And when we look at the New Testament, in fact, what we see is a God who has overwhelming, abundant love. Just think of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus didn't come give just a little bit to everybody, and everybody was still a little hungry, but they, they were okay. No, Jesus fed thousands of people and had 12 baskets left over to feed more people. Or in the, the story of the prodigal son, when the prodigal son came home, the father didn't just shake his hand and welcome him in, but he uh, had a, an abundant, bountiful party where he killed the fatted calf and, and celebrated this child coming home. Or even the Good Samaritan, when he, he saved that person off the street, he didn't just take him to the hotel and say, good luck to you, but he paid all of his bills and told him he would pay any more bills that needed to come. And of course, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus could have asked the question, what can I spare, what can I do? But instead, he looked to God and said, not my will, but thy will. And he gave his whole life. When we look around this world, we can either choose to see that God has abandoned us or we can choose to see that God has provided each and everything that we have. From the smallest flower to the greatest gift. We can look at each other and we can choose to see the problems that we have or choose to be thankful that we are here together in this church. We can look at this old building that at times seems like it's falling apart and we can stop and say, that's a problem, or that's something we need to be grateful for. We can look at each other, and we can lift up gratitude to God, because God has proven to us time and time and time again that the world is not as small and narrow as we think it is, but that God has given us more than we could ever be grateful for. This coming Thursday, as you all know, is the anniversary of Hurricane Michael, and we're going to have a, uh, another concert here in our sanctuary to, to help raise money for more hurricane victims who are continuing to suffer across the panhandle. Believe it or not, when that hurricane hit, you might not know this, but there were several churches in our presbytery that were, were hurt. Some were almost destroyed, and many of those churches in those moments right after the hurricane, I bet they felt pretty alone. They felt like God had maybe abandoned them, maybe even felt like they were dealing with a problem that they couldn't handle. But I'm proud to say that those churches immediately felt love and support from churches like ours. You might not remember this, but we raised over $17,000 last year to help churches in need up and down the panhandle. But it wasn't just us. There are churches from Illinois and North Carolina and Tampa, Florida and Tennessee who not only sent money, but sent people 
to come and help Presbyterian churches up and down the panhandle, to help them rebuild and to help them get back on their feet. And in those moments and in that difficulty, I have to believe that those churches realized they weren't a small little congregation all by themselves. But there were people all over the world that were a part of their church, here to help them, here to love them, here to remind them that God's love isn't bounded by what we can see or what we can feel, but it stretches all over the world to churches everywhere who gather around this table just like we do. We're going to take communion in just a few moments. We're going to take it by intinction. And when you grab uh, that piece of bread, you can look at that little piece of bread and think, oh, this piece of bread is so small it will never fill me up. Or you can think about what that little piece of bread represents. The overwhelming love of God. It represents Jesus Christ who did not ask what He could spare. But He gave His whole life for all of us. He did not ask, what can I give? But He asked, can I give it all? Should I give it all? Will I give it all? If it's God's will, I will. Look at that piece of bread and use that as a reminder That God's love is never-ending. God's love is overwhelming. God's love is bounteous and abundant. And we could not live without it. If we begin our stewardship that way, by making up our minds that God loves us and always will, well, it will not only affect how we give, but it will affect how we live. It will affect how we look at each other and how we treat each other. And I truly believe... It'll help our love abound more and more. To the glory of God. Amen.